start. We have a minion, I think. Exactly. Oh, nice. Yeah, exactly. We can do that. Oh, let's try a post-luncheon serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, in the... Um, Oh, come on now, where are you? You were just here. In the uh, ah, tradition, spiritual experience, where are those little concepts? Did you pull them out? Oh, here they are. Uh, the twelfth one I've, I've reflected on on a regular basis, and also in Al-Anon, because I think these are very important and rich ideas. I think they're... They're ideas that are provocative and interesting. Um, and uh, Al-Anon ends with what they call the, the five general warranties. And I think these are, these are major principles, guarantees, um, ways of protecting everybody. And, and this is what it says for the World Service Conference. Number one, that it's only sufficient operating funds including an ample reserve, be its prudent financial principle. Similar to that 12th concept in AA. You don't need a lot of money. Pay your bills, have a little reserve. Two, no conference member shall be placed in unqualified authority over other members. This is um, uh, specifically for those of us who are afraid of the cult. You know, oh, the program's a cult, you know. Well, uh, there are some places where some people act culty. I mean, that's very possible. Um, but we watch out for that. We don't think it's a good thing. You're not in unqualified authority over anyone. Three, that, by, that all decisions be reached by discussion, vote, and whenever possible by unanimity, uh, substantial unanimity, Al-Anon just says unanimity. And sometimes it takes a long time to sort that out. There's a, a justice of the Supreme Court um, put on the court, I guess, in the 1940s, and he was there till the 1960s. His name was Felix Frankfurter, which sounds like a made-up name, but it, it was a real name. He was the, uh, the second Jewish member of the United States Supreme Court. The first was uh, Justice Brandeis. But this is Felix Frankfurter. And he wrote a lot of opinions. He had a lot to say. He was a very educated man. And one of the things he said about controversy, arguing, he said there are issues about which reasonable people of goodwill disagree. And I have to remember that because I have a tendency to think if you disagree with me, you're not just wrong, you're stupid. That's my opening uh, understanding. But there are issues about which reasonable people disagree. And, and that's kind of a live and let live. Um, not everything has to be decided or solved. There's more than one way up Mount Fuji, all those things. 
substantial unanimity. Four, that no conference action ever be personally punitive or an incitement to public controversy. Tim mentioned you know, the treasurer that, that runs off with the funds. We don't track them down and put them in jail. We don't prosecute those things. One of the reasons is because it makes you crazy if you do that. If you start being litigious, argumentative, I'll sue, all recovery goes right out the door. Also, sanity and common sense. There was a conference in uh, California held every year in November in Yosemite National Park, which was made by the glaciers over many thousands of years. Brilliant place. John Muir, who was a a Scottish fellow who came to the, the States and, and helped develop the national park system. John Muir said, if you want to see the face of God, come to Yosemite. And I've been there several times. Every November we had this Yosemite conference and there'd be 800 or 1,000 people in this extraordinarily beautiful place. I liked it a lot. Um, uh, That was going somewhere. <laughs> and I got distracted by Yosemite. Just a second. Ask God for help. Oh, the treasurer for the conference at Yosemite National Park ran off with the funds. And uh, it was, it was eight, money of 800 people. It was several, you know, amounts of money. And this person just ran for the hills with it. AA did not prosecute. But the county did. Because it was happening at an official, an official place. And I don't know the outcome of all that. But being personally punitive doesn't help anyone. Part of our, our tradition is if we're criticized, Tim mentioned this, if we're criticized and the, and the criticism's valid, you can privately thank that person. You don't have to grovel or be ashamed or, you know, public humiliation, but... Your criticism will we'll try to cooperate with this, but you don't. Ha- your world doesn't have to come to an end because you've been criticized or you've done something that could be criticized. I have been criticized on more than one occasion. It's true by by my heartless swine, of course, but nevertheless. Five that through the though the conference serves Al-Anon, it will never perform any act of government. And that like the fellowship of Al-Anon family groups which it serves, it shall always remain democratic in thought and action. So the warranties are very much like the 12th concept in AA. Very, very similar to that. And I like the fact that we are democratic in thought and action. Bill W. and a whole bunch of other people in the early fellowship believed in grassroots Activity, people on the ground working together, not way up there, high, but, but, but let the people gather and make decisions. And I think that's a very good thing. One of the traditions also talks about, uh, this is tradition number 10, that for our group sanity, we want to stay away from controversial issues. It specifically mentions religion and politics and alcohol reform. 
historically, the alcohol reform thing has a strong reference to the prohibition years in the United States from 1920 to 
who had no sense of humor did not find it funny, <laughs> even though it was hilarious. <laughs> so the political stuff. Um, I, I went to Poland in the early 80s, Carter's president, Brezhnev's president. Uh, I was working in Scandinavia that summer, um, and, and I had about 10 days after, and a friend of mine in recovery showed up, and we thought we'd go to Eastern Europe, one of, our, one of my few forays into Eastern Europe, and I went into Poland um, with my friend Jim. We went by bus, and we went around, and we met. Uh, there were sober Polish people in Stockholm, and they connected with sober Polish people in Poznan, Krakow, and Warsaw. We were taken care of. And I think it was in Warsaw, we stayed with this fellow and his, his wife and two kids. He was sober a few years. And, and a few years before, he was a very active member of the Solidarity Movement. Military government, the communists are running everything. Solidarity was the defiance of the government program. Lots of people went to jail. And um, why my, my host was one of those people who spent some time in jail. He gets sober. And how does that even happen? There's a tiny bit of alcoholism in the Slavic community. You might be aware of that. The occasional Russian, the occasional Pole, on occasion, have overserved themselves. That's safe. Well, uh, a Polish guy gets sober somewhere in the States gets active in the program, and he writes letters home about this program of recovery. And a few other people get sober, and a few other people get sober. And there is a Communist Party magazine that comes out once a month, and it, it it's, tells you lots of things. And they asked for an article about Alcoholics Anonymous. And they wrote an article about Alcoholics Anonymous 12 steps, mentioning God, a whole bunch of other things, and that if you um, uh, want to contact someone, here's some phone numbers. Now, Poland is a military place in a communist state, and, and if you're going to have a meeting, you have to register with the police, and you have to register names with the police. They don't have to be real names, they just have to be names. So you had uh, your real name and then your recovery name. I met a woman there. She said, my name is Olga, but in Al-Anon, I'm Anna. So they would uh, list names. If you, if you have a trouble with your drinking, call these numbers. And, and my friend Adam, um, the Polish fellow, his name was listed. He has a couple years of sobriety. And uh, the phone rings. And there's someone who needs help. And Adam and another guy make a 12-step call on this fellow who's reaching out for help. And Adam found out that he was making a 12-step call on the man who sent him to prison. And Adam was that man's sponsor. Because outside issues stay outside. I, I just think that's a staggering story. I don't think I have enough program or goodwill to do that. I want the person slowly dead. But uh, I'm not in that circumstance or that situation. Religious stuff. 
You know, it's, it's, um, we have no opinion. And there's all kinds of individual members with strong opinions. And if we don't argue about that during meetings, it's going to be just fine. But I've, I've noticed that um, people come in with baggage, people come in with prejudices, people come in with bad experiences. We don't want to talk about it. Uh, at my home group meeting, which is Tuesday nights in Oakland at 6.30 Pacific time, we have people from a lot of backgrounds. Uh, the Rabbi David used to go there. Uh, two priests, several very happy atheists, and a variety of other people. One of our resident atheists is a fellow named Alan, whom I love. He's, he's just splendid. And whenever the topic was God, you could see him just going, uh, uh, suffering because of the topic. Um, uh, by the way, personally, if the topic is what is, your, what is your concept of a higher power, I do the same thing. Oh, because I don't want to hear. I don't care. And you're nuts. And I, I've thought about this, and I don't want to know how you think about this unless we're having coffee later. Because um, it just gets so weird, especially where I live. It gets very weird. <laughs> and Alan, um, uh, I remember uh, at the end of a meeting, I, I said, Alan, w- would you like to lead us in a prayer of your choice? And he said, I don't pray. Long sobriety. I don't break. Okay, okay, calm down. And I then said, uh, Alan, will you lead us in a moment of silence? And he said, I can do that. So we had a moment of silence led by Alan. Um, This is is such a big thing. It's written about in the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions uh, under uh, tradition number three, the only requirement for membership. And what does it say? This is on page 139. A member gives us a vivid glimpse of those early days. At one time, he said, every AA group had many membership rules. Everybody was scared that somebody or something would capitalize the boat and dump us all back into the drink. So alcohol plus the ocean. Our foundation office asked each group to send in its list of protective regulations. The list was a mile long. If all those rules had been in effect everywhere, nobody could have possibly joined AA at all. So great was the sum of our anxiety and fear. We were resolved to admit nobody to AA, but that hypothetical class of people we termed pure alcoholics. Except for their guzzling and the unfortunate results thereof, they could have no other complications. So beggars, tramps, asylum inmates, prisoners, queers, plain crackpots, and fallen women were definitely out. Yes, sir, we'd cater only to pure and respectable alcoholics. Any others would destroy us. Issues, issues, issues. And what they found out was all those fears were groundless. It helps the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And we come in not because of our 
political stuff or religious stuff or our feelings on whether there should be dry or wet, but because we have a common need to recover. We have something in common. And that's what we want to focus on. Stay away from the crazy. Focus on the common. And that takes some discipline. And I'm usually pretty good at this. Every so often, I've been to a meeting and someone is really out of line on this. They'll um, bash the church. They'll bash, uh, bash the mosque. They'll bash the synagogue. Um, their venom comes up. And, and that's not a topic for a meeting. And no one knows that you're the group bigot, you know? They think you're speaking for Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon. They don't know that you're the craziest person in the room. The rest of us do. But if someone's out of line on that, it's sometimes I have said out loud, that's not a topic for a meeting. I've intervened, not often, because it, was, it made everyone crazy. And, and so these are, these are traditions for the safety of the group and the common welfare of the group. And we're glad to see you. Now, you might have a lot of other issues. That's fine. Come on in. We're going to focus on this one. Others focus on other things. We have so much in common. And that line in the Al-Anon traditions that I reflect on on a regular basis, that the Al-Anon family groups, it's tradition number five, Practicing the 12 steps, encouraging, understanding, welcoming, and giving comfort. And therefore, it's real important to keep the outside issues outside. Especially if things are explosive. Um, I was at one meeting. Newcomers were present. Anyone have 30 days, 60 days? People came up and they were at a an evangelical recovery house of some kind, and each one of them wanted to thank Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior, for their sobriety. <coughs> That's so inappropriate. It's just wrong. So I say that to you as an alcoholic and a priest. It's just wrong. Um, and, and the things we have in common, you know. Uh, last point, and then... Um, uh, Tim um, there's a discipline to working to bring people together it's really easy to start a fight and I can do that by being snarky or sarcastic or my own prejudices come up and, and there are groups that just appall me you know I, uh, and I, I go all over the United States leading retreats for, for people in recovery. Um, and some places are so different than where I live. And I, ha I'm, I observe the traditions. Don't be snarky. Um, I was in the border state between the north and south. And I was talking about um, prohibition. Uh, and there's a, there were half a dozen books are written about it with, with its hundredth anniversary. And one of the books said, 
that the passage of Prohibition was the first real increase in federal power, 1920. Because you have passed this law and you have to enforce it. It's not Franklin Roosevelt and the New Deal, it's Prohibition. I think that's interesting, I think that can be talked about. So there's lunch afterwards and there was a fellow there who looked at me with squinty eyes and he said, I disagree with you. And I said, on what? He said about prohibition being the first real increase of federal power. And I said, what do you think it was? He said, when Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. And I had a realization, for every year of recovery, you get one more second of response time. I had a realization that this could be the be- rehashing the Civil War. Uh, and I turned to the person next to me and I said, aren't these peas delicious? <laughs> Which should be another Al-Anon slogan, you know, if you need to change the topic. And that's everything I know. Tim, I'll call it an Al-Anon. I've got a few unrelated points which I've thought of um, whilst Tom was speaking. Uh, a friend of mine <coughs> uh, uh, is a military doctor. She's a, a, a corporal in the British Army. And now, the, with, with politics and the United Kingdom, as it's currently called... Um, you can't even say the name of one of the constituent countries without making a political statement. Is it Northern Ireland or is it the north of Ireland? Uh, My friend was deployed in Belfast um, when the troubles were at their height And she walks into a meeting, uh, which is pretty much the only place in Belfast where Catholics and Protestants are in the same room. And no one, everyone knows who is who, but no one mentions. And she walks in as a British officer into the midst of this, the British... Uh, military are considerably more popular with one of the two communities than with the other. And they greeted her warmly. This was her first meeting and they looked after her. At the other end of the scale, it's very popular in London. If you want to, make, if you want to give everyone a laugh at a meeting, you say, uh, well, I'm not just a recovering alcoholic, I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> and then everyone comes in with how they're a recovering... I was with a Catholic newcomer once who said, I don't feel particularly... I get that these people are jerks, but nonetheless, I don't feel particularly comfortable where the culture in the room is to disparage the most important thing in my life. Um, On the political stuff, I've made mistakes on that. I've made assumptions about what I think the political leanings in the room are, and I've been radically wrong. I let the guard down and let myself say things, and I discovered afterwards 
you cause a lot because people will remember that they'll remember nothing, nothing else about you but that one comment and uh someone was once trying to explain who i was to someone else and they were trying to explain they were trying to explain and eventually the penny dropped and the woman said oh that tim <laughs> so you know you've said something somewhere <laughs> um with political stuff, one of the real difficulties when you sponsor someone, uh, you're going to get into the nitty-gritty of what bothers the person with resentments and fears and so on. And part of my process when I go through the steps in page 67, where are my mistakes? I'm looking at where... I'm not seeing things straight, where my perception is distorted, where I make these gross unfair generalisations about groups of people or situations. Uh, my observation, I may be wrong over the last few years, a lot of people, including myself, got a lot worse. I think I'm on the way out of it now in terms of only reading one part of the media and getting myself very, very fired up reading one half of the media. And uh, lots of sponsees have got... Uh, I've had lots of sponsees who've got very, very hot under the collar about all sorts of things. And that started to come into AA and Al-Anon, but it, my AA was where it was happening the worst because the face-to-face -face meetings. My Al-Anon is mostly online. My AA is mostly face-to-face with questions around uh, complying with government regulations on social gatherings, where your view on whether or not the group should comply with those was very much a political statement. It's very, very difficult. Now, I don't want to go into that, but the point is, people step fours a couple of years ago... Uh, 70% of what was on there was very highly charged political stuff, which was very extreme. And it's, I found it very hard to work with people who are in a tiny little corner of the media world and the societal world with some very unusual views. And how, how do you work with that? Um, do you chat? Do you challenge? Uh, I don't have an answer to that, but I've had some people have been really, really willing to say, you know what? I've let myself go down lots of rabbit holes, and I want to find a way to look at all sides of a situation and to come back to some facts and away from some of the extreme emotion-driven points of view. Some people are really open to that. When they're not, what I've learnt is to not even, not even engage. So I'm not, if you're not willing to look at this, I totally get that because I took a long time to get close to certain issues. I might not be the right person to help you on this stage of the journey. And to be willing to say, yeah, i you think of the time you spent on step one, step two, step three, all the step four stuff, and then you get to that. And to say, it is okay to say, I can't do this 
with this. I don't know how to address this without crossing a line. And to be able to say the investment of time, it's not lost, but to cut your losses at that point and then they find someone else and they find another way through. I'm not the right person for every, every, everyone. Um, and I've had, you see, I, I, I have a tendency to develop very extreme views and I let myself have those views unpicked by my other half, by my uh, sponsor, by other people in my life. Not everyone is at the stage where they're able to do that and that's, that's fine. Um, and for lots of reasons, I, I think I sponsor more people with mental illness than some other people that I know. It's partly, if you've been around for a while, you, you can sometimes get the hardest cases. And quite often, my experience is that a lot of the political stuff, the very extreme stuff, there's some mental illness going on as well. There's, that sometimes there are, I, I'm not going to get technical, but there's some other stuff going on. And until that is dealt with, sometimes the, the inventory can't be looked at in as much depth. And to know when I can't, I can't do anything about that. Um, when someone is very, very paranoid, I, 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 I can't challenge that. Uh, the, the, the willingness to look at things differently has to come from the inside. So I've learned to back the hell off when it's very difficult and, and say, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. I absolutely don't know how to help here. Um, I also thought of, it's a little technical point about authority. When you're the chair of an intergroup or a region or something, you've been elected by that body. So the people that you are serving as the chair are also the people that you're accountable to. So they can remove you if they don't, they don't like what you're doing. Uh, so you don't really have, uh, as a chair of the intergroup or region, you don't really have any, uh, or anything more than moral authority, really, over, over people. You can't tell people what to do. But there's one exception in the structure where it, it doesn't quite work like that. And it's a very odd situation. I've experienced it a couple of times. London Region North will occasionally set up a subcommittee. And we set up a subcommittee to handle a service workshop. We were going to do a service workshop and have lots of people talk about different aspects of service, public information and whatever else. Now... One person was appointed by the region to be the officer, to be the, to be the chair of the subcommittee. And so that chair is accountable to the region who voted that person in. They're responsible to them for doing a certain task to halt, to set up the service workshop, make sure it functions. And that chair couldn't do the job alone. They had to bring in a bunch of volunteers to help. Now there, um, 
to get the job done required real cooperation on the part of the committee members. Now, the attempt, what you try and do is to do it as democratically as possible in accordance with Concept 12. So you try to get a consensus between you as the chair of that subcommittee and all the people who volunteered. So you want to get a feel of what people's views are and come to joint decision-making. But when push comes to shove and there is a conflict the chair has to be able to pull rank over one of the volunteers because they're accountable not to the volunteers but to the region because someone has to be accountable for the decisions that were made. And there was one of these service workshops where the chair had got a volunteer, volunteer A, who we'll call Bobby, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to be the... Uh, the sort of the compare, the MC for the day, to introduce the speakers, to read the script, and to make sure that the questions and answer session went smoothly. And he was prepped for months on this. He'd written the script. It was all perfectly set up. He understood what the purpose and the function of the day was. He was very well prepared. One of the other committee members on the day decided, let's call her Sally, Sally decided that Peter would be a much better representative of a particular group. He'd be much better. And she asked him to, to take the place of this other person. Unprepared, didn't know the script, not prepped in any way at all. And the chair had to say no. Now... This looks like absolute authority because at the end of the day, it was the chair that was accountable to the region for the effectiveness and well-runness of the workshop. So they had the authority to do that. Why is it not unqualified? It's because if, if Sally really thought a terrible injustice had been done, she could exercise concept five, write a note and have it read out at the region meeting. Sally didn't do this. But it's the one situation where I've seen, and I've board members as well, and this is in Great Britain, it may be different in other countries. When the board member ran the subcommittee for armed services, the board member was in charge of that subcommittee. He would listen very carefully. He trusted and respected and liked the people in the room, but he knew the board and he knew who, who he was accountable to, what would fly, what wouldn't fly, what would be acceptable, what would fit in with other policies which had been agreed, and he had the final word. And when he said no, it was no. And there was an example where if we'd paid, if AA had paid a very minimal subscription fee to uh, uh, an association of charities. And the fact that we would have paid the fee would have been uh, not in the public domain at all. Then we could have uh, put lots of materials about AA on this charity website. And every, six people on the subcommittee said this is a brilliant idea, such a good opportunity to get the AA message out there. 
and the board member said no. Tradition six, this is a formal affiliation and endorsement of an outside endeavour. You can't do it. Boom. Now, we found a different way. The association voluntarily said, give us your materials. We'll put this on. We'll mark it as an external organisation. So we weren't endorsing them, but they could endorse us. Our friends can recommend us. Uh, but I had to recognise as a member of that subcommittee, it wasn't six again. The, the majority of the people in the room were in favour of that measure. But he was the board member. He was accountable to the board as a custodian of AA tradition as a whole. So it's a very odd situation with subcommittees. The reason it's relevant is when the intergroup has a, uh, a convention or some other event, the chair of the convention is the chair of the convention and they're accountable to the intergroup, not to the other members of the convention committee. You want to bring, you want to bring people's views in as much as possible, but it's different than, you can't be overridden. Uh, the, the best you could do is the members of the committee could petition the intergroup and say, we really need to get rid of Bobby. Um, we think he's doing a terrible job. Can, can you do something about this? Um, so uh, there are measures. There are measures that can be taken. There is always a way of dealing with it if you've got a, a loose cannon there. Um, and just one, one more, a couple more things. Cultish practices. I've seen newcomers really freaked out by the repetitive readings. Um, in London, we don't do it as much. In America, it's it, mu a lot of meetings. The traditions are read every single time. Um, how it works is read every single time. Um, people get off-put by the repetitive, the prayer at the beginning, the prayer, particularly if it's the Lord's Prayer. There are lots of things, we're not a cult, but there are lots of things which might look cultish to some people. Um, uh, and with those little ritualistic things, there are things which fly in some places and don't fly in others. I have been to a number of uh, conferences in America where at the break of each session... Everyone gets into a ring and they hold hands and no one says anything and there's a moment of silence. And it's a... When you're at one of those conferences, it's rather sort of beautiful and moving, at least the first few times. <laughs> Wears off after a while. <laughs> but So I quite liked it. We tried it at my home group in London and it freaked people out. People loved the idea... But people are like, we have to touch each other and, and just stand there, in si stand there in silence and do what? And it just, just, just didn't work. I find standing in circles offensive. Do you? I do. Northern California. I just don't yes. like it. And um, um, people do it and I'm opposed. Yeah, just so you know. I just stand there resenting. <laughs> uh, just one, one last thing um, sometimes it's there's a way of uh, sort of breaching the principle uh, whilst trying to make it look as though you're not so sometimes, sometimes people will say you know I've got my own high, everyone can have whatever higher power they want 
but you know, I, I have a higher power who I choose to call and then they give the name. Um, just because you couch it in nice terms doesn't mean you're not proselytizing. Um, and uh, the word God maybe shouldn't trigger people, but it does. And so, and, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, I very often, especially if I'm in a, a meeting where I sense from the vibe that there is going to be some hostility to that, I'll say higher power um, and use pronouns which don't offend people either. Uh, but it doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt to do that, to just keep saying my higher power rather than he, she or it or giving multiple pro- or they, just my higher power, my higher power, my higher power. And no, I've never, I don't think anyone's ever, I've never, have I been bothered, have you ever seen anyone bothered by higher power? I'm sure someone is, because someone's bothered by anything. Um, <laughs> but I too, I use the more general rather than specific. Um, it, it, it's more general, and, and it can be used that way. I, I'm nervous about the, the pounding the drum, you know, for your own tribe. Um, when the the um, <coughs> big book is translated into Thai, and there have been, I think, two or three translations, and you're going into a Buddhist country and a Buddhist culture, and all the thinking is different. And uh, one of the, the solutions to translate uh, the word God was to translate the good spirit. So the, I think that's what they settled on, the good spirit. And that didn't make people as crazy, but it was a cultural thing. Yeah. So, questions about anything? I'm full of, oh, what? <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. So, you discussed um, politics and, you know, that we should stay away from that and outside, what's an outside issue? Like women voting. What? Like women voting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah very controversial. Yeah, very controversial. So, in Remulac, they have a problem, we have a problem with uh, people, some people in AA think that Al-Anon is an outside issue, and they're very, very suspicious about the Al-Anon people and what they, you know, like the relationship and even things, so... You know, they see they. It seems to be like a slippery slope. Like, like, what does it mean cooperation? Like in Al-Anon traditions, it says we should always uh, cooperate. We should cooperate with AA. Is there anything in AA literature that says we should cooperate with Al-Anon? Because they seem to think no, that's an outside issue. Be friendly with our friends is a pamphlet, um, and you're you're going to find bigotry and stupidity everywhere. <laughs> So, um, uh, and in, in, like in Texas, the state of Texas, which is a totally different universe, um, in Al-Anon, they say, if you're a member of another 12-step program, we're very happy for you. We don't want to hear about it. They make it very clear. Um, and, and so I don't when I'm there at an Al-Anon function. Frequently, when I share at an AA thing, I talk AA, but I mention I'm an Al-Anon. And that, usually that doesn't flip out anybody, but there's always someone who's grossly offended by, but let's be friendly with our friends. Um, 
No, but I'm not talking about offending people. I'm talking about there's a conference. Yeah. Okay? There's a conference, and we want to invite Al-Anon. Yeah, there'll be like an AA convention with Al-Anon participation or an Al-Anon conference with AA participation. That's usually how it's advertised where I live. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, but the AA people, uh, we say with, I think they probably spent 20 minutes discussing what should be on the flyer. It, with it, if it should be Al-Anon participation or that offended people, so they wanted with Al-Anon meetings. Al-Anon will be there, but we'll give them a little corner in a back room so nobody will see them, and we don't want their literature out front. And one day they'll be one day one day they'll be dead, and then, you can, <laughs> and then you can change it. Or drunk. Yeah, or drunk. Yeah, the, the, yeah. It's 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 that's too. Yeah. We're friends. Be friendly with your friends. We're companions, we're allies, and we're friends. Don't be afraid to act like companions and friends and allies. Seems to me. Yeah. But we're being rational, and not everybody at a meeting is rational. Some have issues, Sarah, they have issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know in, in Los Angeles, the answer would be yes, it matters, and I have two different lines. That, that's just how they run things there. Um, what's practical, what's possible, what's simple. Yeah. There's also technical difficulty. It's fine when everyone's getting on. But when people stop getting on, then you've got two fellowships and two collective consciences, which one takes precedence. And it can't be, it can't be resolved. Uh, the, the <clears throat> it talks in the concepts, or Bill talks in the concepts, about double-headed management not working. And, am I going to say this? It's on the tape. Um, <laughs> no, I'll... I'll I'll do it, but I'll anonymise it even more than I normally would. In Great Britain, AA, uh, to use the AA name when you're holding an event, you must have the event sponsored by an intergroup, a region, a collection of regions, or the national organisation. And what being sponsored by these bodies means is that you are financially and operationally accountable to the fellowship as a whole through 
the sponsoring body, the intergroup, the region. Because it's got the financial clout behind it, it's got the people behind it, if necessary, to sort stuff out. So that if the committee is making a real mess of it, which happens, the chair and other people on the committee can simply be replaced. So under concept three, you've got various measures when your trusted servants are not really performing as they should, you can, um, uh, uh, you can reprimand in some way, you can redirect what they're doing, uh, you can reorganise the committee or you can replace the committee, the four R's in, in concept three. Uh, so that there's no real risk there. You can trust people because there is a mechanism for setting things straight when they go off track. And I've seen that at conventions where the planning is just terrible and the intergroup says you need to sort that out and this is how we can help you do it and it's sorted out. Uh, there are some conventions. There is a con one of the continents, on one of the continents, there is a, a convention which floats around from country to country and that... Uh, convention, it's an annual convention, uh, is run by a board which is self-replicating, as it were. It, it, the, the board members for that convention uh, come from attendees of the conference and they have a non-profit in one of the countries where, through which they run the bank accounts and, uh, uh, and so on. Uh, now, when they went to one of these countries, uh, they said, we want to hold this convention, the, the so-and-so AA convention, and we'd like to publicise it through the service structure of uh, your country. And the country said, uh, you can do that, but we need operational and financial custodianship over it, so that if there's a risk of breaching AA traditions or concepts or bringing AA's name into bad repute, we can do something about it. And they said, we can't do that because our board is accountable to this non-profit. Uh, if there's a problem, who's in charge? Is it the region or is it, the, is it basically the board of the non-profit? You've got double-headed management, which is fine as long as there isn't a dispute. Once there's a dispute, you don't know who's really in charge and it couldn't be held in that country. And there are cases where very badly run conventions, again, I'm being very careful because of the tape, uh, but very badly run conventions, particularly when the two things which go wrong um, are very bad behaviour on the part of the attendees of the conference causing problems with the venue and it getting into the press. That's happened. Uh, venues being wrecked, bills not being paid, and someone on the committee being lumbered with a five-figure sum owed to someone or, or other. And the national structures have had to come into a situation in which they weren't involved to fix it, to to, to fix the relations locally, to, to pay off the debts, and it bring, it's in a number of places it's brought AA into disrepute. Uh, 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 one particular city in America where one of these conferences 
the place was not looked after by the convention. And it was a place where venue, AA conventions have been held for decades and the venue said no more. That's the last one. So these events which are outside the structure can be very dangerous. And having it kind of co-signed on paper, sponsored by the so-and-so intergroup or region or area or district, unless there's real custodianship of that, it doesn't mean anything. It, it's a dangerous co-signing. So that's the, the point about double-headed management. Israel. My question is that the 10th tradition of AA reads Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Right. Hence the AA name will never be drawn into public controversy. Right. So every once in a while, I'll be in a meeting and someone will share something about their drug addiction or their sex addiction or their political affiliation. Right. And someone else will scream in a very loving, humility-filled way. That's an outside issue! Which brings me to mind of our first tradition, which says, in, not in this tradition itself, but in the explanation of the tradition. Let me see if I can find it. Basically, it's in that first page, maybe two paragraphs down, where it talks about the individual right. It says, surely we would never want to compel a fellow member in what they think, say, or do. It seems to me that we compel fellow members in what they think, say, or do. We tell them not to curse. We tell them only to talk about their alcoholism. Doesn't that, did you see any? Uh, there may be tension there. Tension between those two statements? Maybe even paradox, yeah. I've been to meetings where, you know, please mind your language, and you know, there are ladies and gentlemen here, and so on. And that's when I really want to be vulgar and awful. Um, I usually don't, but every so often I do. I can use some, some very graphic language because it seems like such a good idea. So there's a discipline in, in, uh, uh, in speaking in ways that enhance rather than dis d d detract. Um, but yeah, there, there, there's all kinds of paradoxes in this thing, and and um, especially as we go into political stuff, uh, election years and things like that. And in my country, we're just always doing it. The occasional reminder that we're not going to talk about that stuff is very helpful. And so sometimes if, if I'm speaking at a large meeting, I'll, I'll bring it up as, a, as just a topic and say this is why we don't do that. Uh, COVID and stuff, wearing the masks and government mandates. And, and uh, I was at a meeting in Los Angeles and I mentioned, I mentioned that I thought vaccinations were for the common welfare. <laughs> And uh, wearing masks for the common welfare. This is when things were very tense all over. And one fellow took great exception to that and let me know that. But I think I'm right. I mean, he and I are going to disagree on that. Yeah. But the common welfare. Um, 
That nothing is. I mean, there's always re-looking at things and seeing what's different, and times are different, and um, to have a safe place where people are respected. You can say what you need to say. Confidentiality is observed. Those are pretty good meetings. Those are pretty good meetings. Uh, one of our friends from uh, Southern California, the topic was confidentiality. His name was Jostler. He was a, uh, from a Seventh-day Adventist family from Brazil. Very exotic. And he said, uh, confidentiality is confidentiality. And anonymity is anonymity. But news is news. <laughs> And, and, and he, he introduced that, encouraging people to remember not to gossip and not to be so chatty. Because we can be very casual about things sometimes. Um, but what happens at meetings, the privacy of that's important. The, 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 again, back to that Al-Anon tradition of welcoming, encouraging, supporting people who have been hurt um, takes some time. It, it, it takes some time for healing. Um, and it takes some time to, um, to grow and develop understandings and, and ways of proceeding. Um, and I'm glad there's people with long-term sobriety around. It makes a difference. In the International Convention in Texas 10 years ago. Old-timers were considered anybody with 40 years or more. And Saturday night, they were going to have a big meeting for old-timers, and they'd choose 10 names out of the hat, and you get three minutes. And there were over 500 people with 40 years or more. Over 500. It's a lot. And then they decided that was too many. So for the convention in Atlanta five years later, they raised it to 50 years or more. <laughs> there were still over 100 people with 50 years or more. The Detroit convention got canceled because of COVID. I had my ticket bought. I was planning on going there. The next one in 2025 is in Vancouver, British Columbia. And I, I expect to be there. With 49 years of sobriety. <laughs> so I'm sure I'll be bitter all weekend. Um, but uh, participation, I'm, I'm glad we can get together for this for a couple of days. But if there's an opportunity for going outside to larger groups and seeing the world, it's really very, very nice. This summer, uh, end of June, early July, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Al-Anon's having its every five years international convention. And there's four or 5,000 people that show up for that. And it's, I plan on being there, and it's, it's good to see the fellowship. It's good to see the variety of people that are there. Lots of foreigners come. And it's hybrid this year. And oh, it's good, it's hybrid this year, very nice. So anyone who can't make it to New Mexico can... I, I hope hybrid's the way of the future. Uh, I hope it's with us for a long time. There's a lot of people who are elderly and can't make meetings. Um, 
or who are not for a variety unable to make meetings, but also the international, so people can get together. I think that's a real gift of the program. Okay, Piancis? Jim, do you have anything to share on that line from the first tradition? Just leave people alone. <laughs> Just leave, leave people be. I, I've been at meetings where someone says something and someone else shouts out in the middle of the share, and uh, I, I personally don't like meetings like that. Because who's next? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Okay, so this might be repetitive for some of the, all those questions that preceded me, and maybe it shouldn't be on the tape, I don't know. But in this small country that we're talking about, um, almost all the people are of the same religious affili affiliation. And very, very often in meetings, people want to tie in their share to something related to that, especially at certain times of year. Um, even though we have in all our um, preambles and mass of introductions to the meeting, um, we stay away from religion and all the outside. But there's, it's culture, too. You know, referring to culture, things we share. Yeah. I don't think that's in violation of tradition. So the thing is that sometimes it sounds very religious, and there yeah. could be people who might not feel comfortable because it sounds too religious. It might be. That's and, a risk. And sometimes we have the odd visitor who is from somewhere else and of a different religious mm -hmm. affiliation. Mm -hmm. So how should we handle that? Say it more with kindness. With kindness. Be kind. Be welcoming. <clears throat> be generous. Obviously, but that's not obvious. But does that mean letting it go, or does it mean talking to them kindly? See how it goes. Maybe they'll understand. Like, uh, you know, there's another part of, of, the, of, the, these, you know, of those United States, uh, the state of Utah, where the dominant church is the Mormon community, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they are very definite in a thousand things, and it's overwhelmingly members are of that church. Uh, so that becomes a special culture that gets talked about. And, and the, there are some similarities, so it's... Um, those are, those, that, it's a big topic, I guess, is what I'm saying. And it's not just related to Israel. There are lots of places where that can happen. Right. So, but be sensitive to it. But we risk, if we're sensitive to the people who share like that, we are risking not being sensitive to the people who so there's risks. will not want to come back to a meeting because it's too yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a risk. So heads up, common sense, be welcoming. You know, I I think also it's how you're talking about a religious thing. So if what you're sharing about is how exhausted you are because you're having to clean the whole house and look for particular types of food stuff in hidden corners, <laughs> before, there's yeast here somewhere. <laughs> before a, before a religious festival in this country of Remulac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Now, that's just a cultural reference. Yeah. And if there's someone from Sweden in the room, you just look at them and say, we're doing extra cleaning at this time of the year, just so you know. And then you carry on with the story, mm-hmm. which is fine. But when you start, tr- if you were to start to, tr- to tie principles of step 11 in with particular practices of a religion or you're peppering um, what you're saying with religious jargon so if you're talking about prayer you might and it might be an idea you get from the religion so you might say when talking about step 11 it's really important for me to not just say the prayers but really have an intent and a meaning behind it you can say that in a language that anyone can understand you don't need to say kavana to do it it so often people will uh uh signal religious affiliation by using particular pieces of terminology to create a link with other people with the same because you say it's one uh, one uh, religious affiliation mm-hmm. well to an extent it's one but there are yeah, yeah. I've and there are tensions there. Yeah. So there yeah. are examples of people using the lingo, mm-hmm. and there are examples of people quoting names of, you know, rabbis, and there are examples of people, maybe this is different, maybe it's the same, um, you know, uh, let's say uh, in September when we're talking about step nine, saying, oh, it's so amazing how it ties in with, you know, what we do at that time of year, and they'll be more explicit than I was. Just mm. I'm not offended by that. You don't live here. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> this is kind of exactly what I'm talking about. Even if, as a principle, we try not to be specific, and we try to signal, I'm talking about the member who isn't trying to do that. Okay. Don't they have the right, as stated in the first page of Tradition 1, to say and speak however they want? Uh, my Wednesday Al-Anon meeting, almost everyone in that meeting belongs to another fellowship as well. And so there'll be members of AA or OA or SLA or something else... But they're loving Al-Anon. They're really getting into Al-Anon. And we have a bunch of Al-Anon readings. And it's a very unusual format. And it's great. And we're getting 30 or 40 people. And I'm really loving it. But we say very explicitly at the beginning, uh, if you're in an addiction fellowship, we don't want to (laughs) know. We don't care. Please do not discuss your problems with addiction here. Introduce yourself as an Al-Anon or just as an anon. Now, if some... I know, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. It, it requires a lot of stuff around the point. Now, if someone, if someone actually then starts to talk about that, no one stops them, but there's, there's the same little message at the beginning of the meeting every single time. Um, my experience over the years is that, with very few exceptions... People will try it on for a few times sometimes to try to get a reaction out of the meeting. And I've had it at, at, at big book groups of very interesting examples of this. In, in, when I got sober, the big book was hardly used in AA in London. Last 15 years, it's changed. 
and and people work the steps chiefly using the big book, not the 12 and 12, and it's, it's a very different fellowship in lots of ways. But at big book meetings, of which there are a few, at big book meetings, occasionally someone will come in and try to needle the room with how much they hate the big book and how outdated it is and how it, you know, and my therapist said that dot, dot, dot. And they get three minutes, just like everyone else. No one criticises, no one interrupts, no one says anything. And I've never seen someone do that more than six times in a row because it doesn't get a reaction. Hmm. And when it doesn't get a reaction, there's no payoff in doing it. And so that's why I leave people be. And to talk, because almost every problem I've encountered in AA actually goes away without anyone having to do anything. Because the person, when I misbehave, I'm the one who's chiefly suffer. I suffer more than anyone else from it. Because I have to live with myself 24 hours a day. And my tolerance for pain is significant but not unlimited. And eventually I give up. I was at an AA meeting in uh, Oakland, and we had new secretaries. We every six months bring in. We usually have a male person and a female person, and and now who cares? Um, uh, but the the new secretary brought in the person to to chair for ten minutes, and the person only talked drugs. New in recovery, only talked drugs. I was outraged. I was so upset. This is maybe five or eight, ten years ago. I was, I was just, what's wrong? New secretary, bad. Don't you know? And I, I really wanted to go and, and uh, clarify a few things to him as a senior member of the human race. And I didn't. And the next week, it was just fine. Sober. It was an aberration. And I was willing to react in a very aberrant, is that the word aberrant? Would you say that in the UK? Aberrant? In an aberrant fashion. And I, I let it go. And it never showed up again. So sometimes when I'm agitated, I just get to be agitated. It, my being agitated is not an emergency for the group. I hate that. <laughs> Sometimes one can play past the parcel with one's discomfort. I feel uncomfortable. And if I can make you feel uncomfortable instead, it relieves my own discomfort, which is why I try and interfere with things. Um, the, I don't know if anyone's familiar. Are you familiar with killer whale treatment? No. Okay. So apparently at SeaWorld, whatever that is, when they're training killer whales, whatever they are, when they're training them to perform... When the killer whale does the thing it's supposed to do, they give it a fish. And when it doesn't, it's ignored. And it was something that Clancy said. Is it, I think it was Clancy who said it's perverse to give people more, in, more attention when they're misbehaving than when they're behaving well. And so the whole just... That's another aspect of leave people alone. It's not a sign of indifference. It's... A, it's an expression of what can often be most successful. Uh, and I find this in sponsorship as well. It, it's, um, I find it more effective when I, uh, I will match people's enthusiasm with their work. So the more work they do, the more input they'll get from me, 
rather than the other way around, rather than giving all of the attention to the person that is least willing, which is my instinctive thing to do, is to find the person, to concentrate on how to carry the message to this one person. And it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I was wondering if um, I, I may have, may have uh, like made up some stories about what I thought you were going to say, and then you didn't say it. So if you could um, perhaps say something about how the concepts could relate to my personal life or my family life or my work life. Oh, God, we were going to talk about that, weren't we? <laughs> You were going to talk about that. Oh, was I? <laughs> so I, wasn't I, have, ma- I wasn't making No, I have to leave very soon, and Tim has to carry the, the weight for the rest of the uh, day because I'm being kidnapped uh, and drawn to who knows where to do who knows what um, very soon. But I'm, I'm, um, that, I think it's time for a break anyway. And, but, you know, the, the, the <coughs> ongoing conversation is a good conversation. I mean, just to say that, the, the participation, the, um, the learning, the, the, the experience of being members of this phenomenal group of people uh, is very good. Um, when, I, when I was in Dubai, which, which was just before here, I did uh, two days of presentation on... Steps and traditions, not concepts, but steps, steps and traditions. And we had a wide variety of people there. And, and all involved in the program. And a couple were members of the Sikh community, you know, guys with turbans and beards. And to hear them share the work they do, the commitment to recovery, the, it, was, it was lovely to me. Because we have so much more in common then divides us if we're able to listen to each other. Blanche, my my Al-Anon mentor in so many ways, she said uh, part of the grown-up thing, part of the Al-Anon thing, is uh, everyone gets to take a turn. And it's my turn, it's your turn, it's my turn, it's your turn. And, And I think that is a good thing to remember. And in terms of leadership, in terms of service, in terms of of helping out at meetings. I, I, uh, there are a couple of things I like to do for service. Um, at my, my Monday old-timers meeting and, and Tuesday night meeting, which I couldn't get on. Uh, I tried Zooming and I couldn't get on from Israel's house. I was blocked. Um, Me too. Uh, oh yeah, him too. Um, I, lo- I have the keys to the room. So does the other sober Jesuit with 40 years of sobriety. He's 40, I'm 47. We get there, we open the door, we set up the chairs, we, we make space for people, and then we let people come in and do whatever they do, and then when they are finished, we clean up. I think that's my favorite service. Because <laughs> um, it's, it's a good way to help out. Nothing fancy. Pretty ordinary. Anyone can lift a chair, Tim. <laughs> oh, let's, I'm done. Uh, listen, thank you. I'm, I, these have been lovely days for me. I'm very grateful for your kindness and your hospitality. And um, as we trudge the road of happy destiny, I hope we bump into each other again. That's what I know. 
Thank you.